so a couple years ago, that was one of the top commercials that came out of the Super Bowl. How many of you remember seeing that commercial? I guess 2012 is what they're advertising. So that, that's a commercial that stuck with us. And so often we think about, especially when it comes to the Super Bowl, I know that's, that's a couple months away, we're just getting started with football season, but you think about all the time and energy and money and creativity that goes into preparing those ads. But then I want you to consider this, that while these images and these ads are funny and they're memorable, think about this, how many of you went out and bought a Passat because of that ad? Your life was not changed because of what you saw. In spite of all the things that went into making those ads, in spite of all the creativity, in spite of all the laughs that you have, and maybe even memories of of watching some of those commercials, nothing in your life changed because while the images are impressive and memorable, their subjects are underwhelming and powerless. Yet they still compete for our consciousness and for our attention. This morning, as we continue our series, we're, we're going to see that Paul, uh, again, is fighting for the attention of the people in Corinth. And he's got a special message for them to remind them of exactly what happened when he came and preached to them the first time. Because much like the world today, the people in Corinth, if something wasn't funny, if it wasn't entertaining, if it wasn't the best, then they tended to treat that message as if it wasn't valid. And how many of us, when we see a commercial, we see something and it's just kind of unimpressive, or we watch a movie that's unimpressive, we tend to immediately think, well, it's just not that valuable. And this is exactly where Paul finds the people of Corinth. One of the issues that Paul is dealing with is that the people of Corinth felt like if they couldn't present the gospel in a captivating way, that it was going to lose its attractiveness. And not necessarily in the way that they think, but in a completely different way. Paul's going to tell them that in a way that's absolutely right, but not exactly how they expect. So he's dealing with this issue as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to see that Paul has planted this church. And he's going to be thinking back on the time when he first started planting this church. If you want to read more about that, I encourage you to read Acts 18. And that's the story of where Paul actually plants the church in Corinth. And so he's going to go back to this time when he planted the church and remind them of, of some things about his attitude and how he approached them and his attitude before God and how God actually works through his spirit. Because what Paul wants them to understand is that, it, as we've seen in previous sections in chapter 1, is that the power of the gospel is not in how well we communicate it. Now this is not an excuse to be bad at communicating the gospel. I think every Christian should have a very simple, easy way, whether that's your testimony or uh, in addition to that, I think you ought to have an easy, simple way of explaining the gospel from Scripture. And there's a story of, I believe it was Spurgeon. This woman from his congregation comes to him and says, Mr. Spurgeon, I don't much care for your method of sharing the gospel. And he says, well, tell me about yours. And she says, I don't have one. He says, well, then I much prefer mine. We all need a method for sharing the gospel. This is not an excuse for us to not know how to share the gospel and share it well. The reality is, what Paul's pointing to is that, look, you don't have to use fancy words and fancy arguments. It's a simple message, and it only requires a simple explanation. The simple message is this, that we were all sinners, that we were born into sin, 
that God loved us enough even while we were sinners. Romans 5.8 says that while we were sinners, God demonstrates his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So even though we were sinful, God sent his son to come to the earth to live a perfect life, something that we could never do, so that he could die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and on the third day be raised from the dead, proving that he had overcome sin and death. And that when we put our trust in Christ and Christ alone, not in our good works, not in our church attendance, not in how much money we give, but in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, that we, we freely receive the gift of God, the gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life, and not just eternal life, but new life. It's that simple. There's nothing fancy or flashy about it, but that's the simple message that Paul is calling them to remember. And Paul's going to tell them, listen, if you're going to go out with this simple message in a culture that's inundated with images and fancy speakers and all this other stuff, if you're going to go out with that simple of a message, you have to learn how to be dependent. We're starting a new series as we go through chapter 2. It's only two weeks long, but we're going to talk about how do we become dependent on the power of God, the power of the Spirit, And how do we become dependent on the wisdom of the Spirit? Because the reality is that so many of us, we get intimidated when it comes to sharing the gospel, don't we? Because we think, well, I don't know enough. What if they ask me this question? I'm not smart enough. I don't have a a theology degree. You know, I'm not really good at telling my story. And so we begin to to be afraid and, and we begin to feel weak and powerless. And the reality is that That's exactly where God wants us. Because it's only in that moment that we experience that humility of weakness and powerlessness that God can actually move in us and through us. When we start to realize that it's not about me. Can we all say that this morning? It's not about me. Uh, Let me say that again. It's not about you. Did you know that? It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about the Holy Spirit. And their power to work in and through you. And so Paul is going to come to them and he's going to remind them of his own humility, of, his, of how God had humbled him in different ways. And we're going to see just how powerful it can be when God uses someone's fear to increase their reliance on him. And just how powerful the Holy Spirit can be as it demonstrates God's power through a changed life. So I want us in just a moment to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. But before we do that, I want us to stop and pray. Because I think there are still some of us here this morning who are coming in and we're expecting to hear from the Lord, but we're expecting to receive something from me. And I have to tell you, I have nothing to offer you this morning. The only thing I have to offer you is five verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so I'm going to ask that God's power, God's spirit, It's going to be a simple message. I'm a simple man. Many of you know that. Simple-minded. It's going to be a simple message. But we need to hear it. We need to be reminded of it. And there are barriers and walls in our lives that we need to have broken down so that we can hear it, so that we can stop relying on ourselves and start depending on the Holy Spirit. So we pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we begin to look into Acts, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Lord, as we come to this short passage on the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives, Lord, we ask that we would become dependent on you. Lord, I pray for myself this morning as I preach that that I would not rely on my own um, ability to come up with illustrations or funny stories, 
we would just rely on your spirit to move this morning. Lord, our prayer is not for us alone, this local church at River Rock. And Father, we pray also for Christ Presbyterian and their lead pastor, Whit Anderson. Lord, we pray that as he preaches this morning, as they meet together, Lord, that they would become dependent on your Holy Spirit, that you would move, that their lives would be changed and your power would be demonstrated. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. Now, I love this. One of the things that we just talked about was the importance of our testimony. Revelation, it says that the enemy is overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. If you have put your trust in Christ and Christ alone, you have a powerful story already. And this word testimony, we're going to come to this later, but the word testimony actually refers to legal proof, right? This is legal proof that something has happened in your life. He says, announcing to you the testimony of God, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I did not think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith may not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. I want us to look first at verses 1 and 2. Look back. It says, When I came to you, brothers, announcing the testimony of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom, for I did not think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the first thing that I want us to see is this, that if we're going to be a demonstration, if we're going to experience reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit, if that's going to be a reality in our life, if we're going to depend on the Holy Spirit, it begins with us and it requires us to have humility in our approach towards others. We have to be humble in our approach towards others. Paul has been on a a lengthy missionary journey, planting cities throughout Greece, what's now modern-day Turkey and ancient Greece. And he's been been planting these um, churches, and he's just come from Athens to the city of Corinth. If you go back and you read in, in Acts chapter 17, you read about Paul's time in Athens, and you know that he comes to the Areopagus, Mars Hill. Many of you will remember this. Now, the Athenian culture was much like the Corinthian culture. They put a lot of weight in how people presented their arguments, in what people had to say. They were more impressed by how someone said something than whether or not it was true. It was more important that you be funny, that you be creative, that you, that you tell a great story than whether or not it was actually true. And so Paul comes into Athens in much the same way. He's reasoning with them day after day, and he's telling them about Jesus Christ. And some people hear it, and they say, you know what? We need to call this guy Paul to come and share on Mars Hill. And so he comes, and he shares. He shares the gospel, and he gets booed off the stage. He's kicked out because they don't want to hear it, because it's not fancy. It's not funny. And it's not a great story of power and might. It's a story of a God who was hung on a cross. It's foolishness to them. And so they boo him off the stage. And we know from Paul's other travels, he's been beat up physically. He's been put in jail. He is worn out. 
things are happening in his life. And later he says that he came in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. But he says, when I came among you, I, I was committed to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. So Paul comes in and he says this, look, I'm not going to play the game. I'm not going to try to try to compete with all the all the stuff going on in popular culture, all the other great teachers and philosophers and preachers that are showing up on on Mars Hill and now in Corinth. I'm just not going to compete with that. Here's the reality. My message is true. My message is true. And so I'm just going to come before you as a simple man with a simple message. And I'm just going to live that message out in front of you. And as I live that message out, as you see my life that's been changed, it's going to demonstrate the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. As I depend on the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to come among you and I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Paul was, was among the people. I love this. If you look, he says, For I did not, didn't think it was a good idea to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I love that Paul puts himself among the Corinthians. Day after day, he was going into the workplace. When he was there, Paul didn't, wasn't supported by the church. He was self-supported. He was a tent maker. A tent maker was a very simple day laborer, unskilled job. It wasn't something that was valued in that culture. So Paul already would have looked down upon, but he says, you know what? This is what I have to do to be able to pay my bills so that I can stay here and preach the gospel. So I don't care what people think about me. I don't care that I don't have the fanciest camel in town. I am going to be here, and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to commit myself to doing whatever I have to do to stay among the people. And Paul is among the people, and I want to challenge us as a church it was interesting because I, I live next door to a man who serves on staff at another church. And yesterday he came outside and he, he said, you know, I, I have to apologize to you because I haven't been a good neighbor. He said, Tuesday night when you guys had uh, National Night Out, he said, I was really convicted. Because I stood there on the porch with my wife and I realized that I did not know any of my neighbors. How am I supposed to share the gospel with them if I don't know them? And we had a great conversation. I was, had an opportunity to share some of the things that, that God changed in my life to bring my wife and I outside our home, to be in the front yard, to be among the people. And I want to challenge us as River Rock Bible Church, are you among the people? I mean, in humility. Like, are you among the people in a way that, that demonstrates how much you love and you care for them, right? Because when most people think about Christians, they think about people that are beating them over the head, telling them they're wrong and all these different things. But are you among the people? Are you living with them humbly, walking before God in weakness and fear and in trembling so that they see that your strength, your power doesn't come from yourself, but it comes from the Lord? I want to challenge us to be a people at River Rock, who are among the people, and that as we begin depending on the Holy Spirit, that, that we would, in humility, have an approach towards others that says, you know what, I want to I be among you. I want you to see what God is doing in my life. And that's going to require us to depend on the Holy Spirit because it's not always easy. You're going to encounter difficult people. You're going to encounter people who don't think the way you think. They don't speak the way you think, the way you speak. They may not look the way you look. They may not even vote the way you vote. 
but God calls us to be in and among them, and that we would approach them with humility. The next thing that we see is that uh, comes in verse 3, when Paul says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. We're going to see that depending on the Holy Spirit requires humility in my attitude towards God. So not only do we have to be humble in our approach towards other, we have to be humble in our attitude towards God. This humility from Paul, this is an experienced church planner. He's gone to different cities. He's been to different places. He's seen the gospel be successful. Yet he says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. I mean, think about what just happened in Athens. He was literally booed off the stage, kicked out of the joint. So you've got to imagine, I, I know some people say, well, Paul wasn't really afraid of people. He had boldness. He had courage. He was with the Lord. And I, I think absolutely there are times when he experienced that. But I think also Paul was human. And I wonder if as he comes to Corinth, we know that from Acts 18 that there was a long time period where he was not successful. He gets kicked out of the synagogue there. And he's by himself. And he's lonely. And I imagine that there's a little bit of weakness and fear and trembling in himself. That he's saying, man, I, God, I just don't know. Are you, are you sure Corinth is the place? Are you sure I'm the guy to reach Corinth? Like, I, I just don't know. And God responds. In Acts chapter 17, he sends Paul and Silas to come alongside of him and to encourage him. And then he sees the leader of the synagogue become a follower of Jesus Christ, and many people start to believe. And I love in Acts 17, we read, we read this, starting in verse 7. Maybe a little bit further back. All right. So he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So he's been kicked out of the synagogue. Now God opens another door. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Then the Lord said to Paul in a, vision, in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking, and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you or hurt you, because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months. So Paul is with them for 18 months, but I love this message that the Lord gives him. He says, I have many people left in this city. Paul, I know you're weak. I know you're fearful. And I know you're trembling. I know there's people around you, both Jew and Gentile, that want to do you harm. They want to see you fail in this city, but do not give up. I have many people in this city. Paul, just keep depending on me. Keep depending on my power. Because here's the reality. What I love about this is that, that Paul begins to understand. He begins to understand uh, something that uh, is a lesson that he had to learn over and over again. I say he begins to understand, but it's a lesson that if he's anything like me, he's been taught over and over again. That that moment that that weakness comes in, it starts to creep in. You have a choice. Because our weakness, our fear, and our trembling is either a weapon that Satan can use against us to paralyze us and make us uh, ineffective for the kingdom, or it's a tool that God can use to foster our dependence on him. When we get to a point when we say, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, that's exactly where God wants you because he's saying, finally, we agree on something. You can't do this, but I can. I need you to depend on me. 
I need you to depend on me. And I love what Paul says about himself in 2 Corinthians 10.10. We read this. This is what's said about Paul. For it is said, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his physical presence is weak and his public speaking is despicable. This is Paul speaking about himself. This is what the people in Corinth are saying about him. Look, his letters are, are powerful and strong, but man, he is not much to look at, and he's not a very good public speaker. And Paul understands, hey, look, this is my weakness. This is what the world sees. They see this weakness, but there is power in this. Paul has a humility when he comes before God. He understands that it's all about relying on God. God comes to him and tells him that, Paul, they're here. My people are waiting for you. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, we read the Apostle Paul write this. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Think about that. My power is perfected in weakness. What did Paul say? I came to you in what? In weakness, in fear, and in trembling. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I am pleased in weakness, in insults, in catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressure because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. have to have this attitude of humility when I come before the Lord, and I have to recognize that I am weak, that I cannot do this on my own. And I think it's amazing to me how often we hear messages about how strong we are. We want to look to Scripture to see how strong we are, how God has built us up, and all these things, all the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. Yet we don't like hearing messages that tell us, yeah, you have all those things, but it's not because of you, it's in spite of you. And the only way that you fully get to experience the power of God working in and through you, the life change, the only way you truly get to experience those things is to become weak. It's not a message that our culture likes to hear, but that's reality. I want to ask you this morning, are you strong enough to be weak? Are you strong enough to admit that you're afraid? And are you strong enough to come before the Lord and to tremble? To tremble before him and say, God, the task that you have given me is too great and I cannot do it. But I know that you can. So I'm here before you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself, submit myself to you. Lord, would you work? Would your power be known? Would your power be known? God, give me the strength to do this. Paul knew his limitations when it came to planning the church and, and to shepherding the people in Corinth. But because of God's provision in his life, because of Paul's ability to be weak and to lean on the Lord instead of leaning on his own strength, there are generations of Christians that are now continuing to follow the Lord. It's very possible that one of you is here today because 2,000 years ago the Apostle Paul shared the gospel in a small town, large town, called Corinth. Our history is traced back to these first disciples who understood that their strength came not from themselves but from the Lord. And it took an attitude of humility to get them there. The last thing we're going to see is that if we're going to be dependent on the power of the Spirit, our dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit is revealed through life change. Look at what Paul says. 
My speech and my proclamation were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a powerful demonstration by the Spirit, so that your faith may not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, I love this, that Paul says, hey, look, I didn't come with any fancy speech or great illustrations or, or videos to keep you awake while the pastor preaches. I just came, and I just preached the simple message of the cross. I knew nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified among you. It was a very simple message that I preached. And he said, but there was a powerful demonstration of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple things that could be possibilities here. We know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually did, he says, uh, he calls them signs of the apostles and some miracles among the people of Corinth. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I think there was something much more powerful than a miracle. Then Paul saying to someone, stand up and walk, be healed, receive your sight. I think there was something much more powerful than that taking place. And the people of Corinth got to see it. And the only reason they got to see it is because Paul was among them. Here's what I think they saw. They saw a man who'd been laughed off the stage in Athens, who came in humility among them and said, you know what, I love you enough that I'm going to be a tent maker. I'm going to take this day labor job so I can just be here to proclaim the gospel. They saw a man who knew that his strength was not in public speaking, but in the Lord. That his power was not from himself, but in Jesus. And day after day, they watched this man. And they watched this man continue to pursue the Lord, continue to be changed by the Lord. Now, I know all of us have this amazing image of the Apostle Paul and how he probably never struggled with anything. But all we have to do is go to Romans chapter 7 and know that he had very great struggles. The things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I do not want to do, I do. I know that's confusing. But basically Paul's saying, look, I don't want to sin, but I do. And the things that I want to do to honor God, I I just don't do. There's times that I struggle. And I think they saw this in Paul. They saw the struggle, but they saw a man who is continually growing in his ability to depend on the Lord's power. They saw his life change before them for 18 months. They saw a man whose life was ever being changed by the gospel, by the very message that he was preaching. And as they listened to his message and they watched his life, they said, you know what, there's something to this message because I'm seeing his life that's been changed. I'm seeing the power of the gospel lived out in Paul himself. And they were seeing it in other people who were putting their trust in Jesus Christ. They were seeing people who were leaving pagan religions and becoming followers of Jesus. Some of them even becoming teachers in the church. They were watching this happen. They were watching real people experience real life change. And I just want to encourage us this morning that that it still happens today. And it happens right here at River Rock Bible Church. There are real people at River Rock who grew up in false religions. Yet they hear the gospel. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they believe. They renounce their previous religion. And they're now leading small groups. They're leading in their workplaces. And they view their their neighborhoods and their workplaces as mission fields. And they say, I'm going to go to this workplace every day and preach the gospel. There are people at this church, there are real people at this church who have said, you know what, I'm in a job that's, that's not in the field that I went to school and studied. It's not what I've done in the past. In fact, it's not even a great job that provides the income that I need for my family, but God has put me here and he's given me opportunities to preach the gospel, so I'm going to stay right here until God moves me. 
There are real men at this church who've been sleepwalking through their lives at home. Yet God gets a hold of them through the power of the Holy Spirit, and now they're awake and they're faithfully and joyfully serving and leading their families, and they're faithfully serving and leading in this church. There are people in this church, real people in this church, who have said, you know what, we want to honor God with our purity before marriage, so we're going to separate until we're married, and we're going to honor God with that. There are real people in this church who have said, you know what, I'm going to make sacrifices by working extra shifts, by doing everything that I can to help send people on mission trips. I'm going to give sacrificially to do that. There are real people in this church, real married couples, who've been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they realize that there are changes that they need to make in their marriage. And as they do that, as they depend on the power of the Spirit, not the power of their counselor, not the power of their last self self-help marriage book that they read, but as they depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, their marriage is transformed and comes back from the brink of divorce and is raised to new life again in Jesus Christ. These are real stories of real people at River Rock Bible Church. Can we just celebrate some of that? Amen? I mean, you guys act like that's not good news. Are are you still awake? Do you realize that God is still in the business of changing lives? He wants to continually change our lives. That's the true demonstration of the power of the Spirit is a changed life. And I love this last part. Paul says, uh, he's in verse 5, he says, So that your faith may not be based on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now, I have to admit that this is an area of my life where I have often struggled to really rely on God's power, not just to change my life, but to, to be honest, to change other people's lives. Because here's what happens with me. I see what God wants to do in someone else's life, and I see the potential that they have for the Lord. Yet I don't have the patience often enough to wait for that, to wait for the Holy Spirit. And my, my struggle is this. My struggle is sometimes I want to be the Holy Spirit. Right? Anybody ever been there? Like, you want to be the Holy Spirit for that? Okay, one other person. Thank you very much. Okay, two other people. Can I get a third? Can I get a witness? All right. So I want to be the Holy Spirit, and I want to go over, and I want to say, Stephen, you need to do this, 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 and this. And Stephen, why aren't you doing this? Stephen, you're not doing this fast enough. And I get frustrated, and Stephen gets frustrated. And you know what? The reality is that even if Stephen were to go and do all the things that I told him to do, are those going to be lasting changes? No. Why? Because he's just built his entire spiritual walk around man's wisdom and what I think needs to happen. Instead of me coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I see so much potential in this person's life. I see everything that could be. And then walking with them and showing them from Scripture, do you see what God desires for you? Man, I would love to help you take these next steps. What's your first next step? What's your first next step? Instead of doing that, I want to beat them over the head and say, get from this side of the room to that side of the room and do it today in one step. I want you to take one giant leap and get there. Instead of saying, you know what, let's just take this step. Are you following the Spirit? Is God speaking to you? What's God saying to you? Okay, I want to challenge you. Scripture says that this might be a next step for you. What if you took this step? Would you pray about that? Would you ask God to show you how to take that next step? 
And then pretty soon they start taking more steps. And sometimes they crawl, sometimes they get up and they just sprint. But my struggle is even as I'm working with other people, I fail to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to change their lives. And even if they were to change their life because of something I said or something I did, it's not going to be lasting change because here's the reality. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm human. And what's going to happen when we've been talking about, hey, don't lose your anger. You've got to stop being so angry with your kids and with your wife. And then they hear me from next door yelling at my kids and my wife in a moment of weakness. And they say, well, he's full of it, man. He's telling me not to yell at my kids, and I come to knock on the door, and all I hear is him yelling at his kids. I'm not listening to anything he says anymore. Yet if it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life, it will be a lasting change. It will be a lasting change. And so I want to challenge us this morning. Maybe you're one of those people who, like me, likes to be the Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you to to let that go. Let that go. There's only one Holy Spirit, and he's going to do a way better job than you'll ever do. And maybe you're, you're one of those people that's, that's a little bit resistant to the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're one of those people who you do tend to listen to people more than you listen to spirit, the Holy Spirit. You tend to quote pastors more than you quote the Scripture. You look to a pastor to give you an outline of how you should live your life rather than coming to the original source saying, you know what, I, I'm just going to go straight to the Word of God to figure out what needs to happen here. I want to challenge us this morning. You know, we can, we can bring up an organ every week and play music in the background and whip everybody up into a frenzy and pull out the tissues and make it so that everybody cries. And we could try to manufacture a movement of what we would say, oh, the Spirit was moving today. I cried in worship. It was so powerful. They did my favorite song. It was so powerful. And we could, we could do that. But that's not the true demonstration of the Spirit, and that's not what God desires for us. We can dissect opposing worldviews and religions, and we can put polish on our pre- presentations to the rest of the world, but that's not the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that God desires. Because the reality is this. The message of the cross is not new. It's simple. It's old, but it's powerful. And unfortunately, many in our culture dismiss the message of the gospel, not because it's unbelievable to them, not because they balk at the idea of God becoming man. But here's what I think. The real reason why our culture balks at the idea of the message of the cross when we present it to them and we talk about the power of the cross is because they've never seen a life lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. They've never seen it demonstrated before them. They've never seen people who say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change the way that, that I'm living to be in line with the word of God. And it's not going to be by my own energy or effort. It's going to be by the power of the spirit. I'm going to become weak. I'm going to become fearful. And I'm going to tremble before the Lord and let him change my life. And I think if as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, if we could just for a moment be weak, And depend on the Lord. Let him change our life. That that would demonstrate the power of the gospel. And I'll say this. Because I know there's some of you that are thinking this. Awesome. All I have to do is be a good person. 
And that'll count as sharing the gospel. Don't buy into that lie either. Our life has to match up with our message. They have to be paired together. They have to be paired together. Without either one, both are incomplete and weak. What gave Paul's message power? Number one, it was the word of God. But number two, people could actually see that it was true as his life and people's lives were changed. What gave their changed lives power was the message of the gospel that they proclaimed over and over again. So I want to challenge us as a church this week. Can we be weak? Can we stop trying to do it on our own? Can we stop stop trying to change lives on our own power? Can we just be weak before the Lord and say, God, I can't do this? Can we be weak before the Lord? Can we come to him in fear saying, you know what, Lord? I know that if I change my life, it's going to mean some some major changes. Big things are going to happen. I'm going to have to let go of some of the things that I've looked to for my identity in the past. God, I'm afraid. But I know in my fear, Lord, that you can overcome that and you can bring peace. Philippians chapter 4, not only do we have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, we also have the God of peace. So, Lord, I need your peace to make this change in my life. How many of you will commit to being weak so that God's power may be demonstrated as you begin to rely on the Holy Spirit? Our strength is is not in our ability to change our lives, but to rely on the only one who truly can. Our power is not in the wisdom or the cunning of our presentation of the gospel. The gospel itself is powerful. Will we continue to add power to that gospel as we live out changed lives, as we go among people around us, as we, as we live among them with humility, as they see our humility not only before them but before the Lord, and as they see a life that's been changed? Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning in weakness.